God, take our ears and hear through them, uh, take our minds and think through them, and take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. So at our house, like many of the kids up front this morning, we are uh, starting to get ready for Christmas. And uh, we have lived long enough in our house now, and our girls are old enough that we've accrued a few traditions and rituals, so uh, we know how to get ready. So last Sunday, for example, first Sunday of Advent, we took the wreath that we got from the MYF and put it on our front door. And there's a Moravian star that we hang in the porchway that lights up at night. And then uh, after supper, we had our first family Advent service of the year. And then each week, we pull up more boxes uh, from the corner of the basement where we keep them the rest of the year. Uh, We make another batch or two of cookies from a fairly set list of cookies and candies that really have to be made every year if we're fully going to be ready for Christmas. And of course, each week, pretty much another batch of Chex Mix as well. For a lot of us, uh, getting ready also includes travel. So you start checking uh, the weather app on your phone, and if you're going south, make sure you have chains to get over the Siskiyous, just in case. Uh, If you're flying, I find it's more mental preparation. It's the mental preparation for for joining the throngs at PDX in what is not always the most wonderful time of the year. Um, Some of it's getting uh, ready for potentially awkward conversations around the dinner table or maybe sitting out in the living, uh, living room area. Um, I've got an uncle, one of my favorite people. Whenever I think of him, I smile. But man, I do not want to sit next to him and get started on politics. That is not going to be a happy conversation for anyone. Uh, maybe for some of us, it includes preparing uh, for the painful absence of a loved one who's gone from our lives now. We're all preparing for Christmas. And at this point in life, um, we have a pretty good idea how to get ready. But this week, I've been thinking about how to prepare for the times in our lives that we can't really be ready for. See, that's how I experienced becoming a father. When Molly and I learned, this was, what, 32 years ago now, that we were going to become parents, we did everything that you're supposed to do. We, we bought a car seat. We got a crib. Uh, we signed up for Lamaze classes. Uh, we read what to expect when you're expecting because we're kind of bookish kind of people. And because we're good students, we even worked ahead. We read what to expect in the first year. <laughs> but when we brought Julia home from the hospital, I had this sinking feeling. I remember thinking to myself, what have we done? <laughs> I had no idea what to do. In fact, I remember thinking, they should not let guys like me leave a hospital with one of these. I think somebody fell asleep at the switch, man. We had done everything we needed to prepare, and I still was not ready. And I've since concluded, and there might be a little defensiveness here, but I've since concluded that it wasn't just me. I don't think anybody can really be ready for parenthood. It's so new. It's so different. It's so overwhelming. It's so consequential. It's so, it's so wonderful. But in fact, when we brought our second daughter home, Laura, and this was two and a half years later, we walked in the house, felt the exact same thing. What have we done? <laughs> I had no idea what to do. I had forgotten everything. But it's not just um, parenting. Um, Going off to college. Some of you are maybe uh, getting ready to go off to college in the next year, too. Some of you maybe have been college recently. I still remember, and this was even longer ago, preparing and still not really being ready for college. And then later, when we took our girls and dropped them off, I really wasn't ready. That one hits pretty hard. 
Um, maybe it's starting a new job or taking on a new challenge or an unexpected opportunity, or maybe it's an unwelcome ending. There are things we can prepare for uh, and still not really be ready. And that's true in this reading today from Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist comes to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, to be clear, uh, this is the second Sunday of Advent. This isn't a birth story. This isn't about the nativity of Jesus. You've got to wait a little longer in church for that. That comes closer to Christmas. In this story, John appears in the wilderness, and he appears to prepare people for the coming of God and for the impact of this promised Messiah. John appears to rekindle hope in people that God has not forgotten them, to rekindle faith that God will act to set things right, and to rekindle commitment to be alert and aware and awake and watchful, to be prepared. But for all the preparing, it seems that even John himself was not really ready. Now, of course, we have the benefit of reading this text in hindsight. We know how the rest of the story goes. But at the River Jordan, all John knows is to look for, as he puts it, one who is coming after me. It's not at all clear that John knew what it would look like when God's kingdom arrived. It's not at all clear that John knew who this one to come would be. It's not clear that he was ready for it to be Jesus. Later in Matthew, and we'll hear this text actually next week, in uh, Matthew chapter 11, John is in prison, and he's heard about what Jesus is doing. And he sent a messenger to ask, are you the one who is to come, or are we waiting for someone else? John was prepared, and he still wasn't ready. And if you read in the Gospels, the same thing's true of the disciples, right? They followed Jesus, they listened to Jesus, they watched Jesus, they spent a lot of time with Jesus. They still weren't ready for the things that he said. They still weren't ready for the way he treated people. They still weren't ready for what he asked them to do. And in fairness, how could they be ready? Jesus was singular. I mean, the love of God that he carried in him the vision he had of what God would do, it was so new, so different, so overwhelming and consequential and wonderful. Later, Paul, uh, in Ephesians 3, described it as far more than anything we can ask or imagine. So then, how can we prepare for the coming of Christ? How can we prepare for all those other things in our lives for which we can't really be ready? Well, in the wilderness, John proclaims, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in the way Matthew tells this story, John is clearly linked to the prophetic tradition in the Hebrew scriptures. He looks the part, right? He's got a clothing of camel's hair. He's got a big leather belt around his waist. He eats locust and honey. I was imagining he has a big beard and a real fiery temperament. And to make sure that nobody misses it, John, or Matthew rather, quotes the prophet Isaiah. Of John, he says, this is the one whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And so all these years later, when we hear repent, it's easy to imagine the kind of wild-eyed street preachers that you can find sometimes down at Pioneer Courthouse Square, the kind of guys that I always try my best to avoid. But when John says repent, it's really not so much about guilt or judgment or fear or shame. Repent is much more about turning. 
It's about turning from what's hurtful and harmful and deceptive and destructive, what the Bible calls sin, and turning toward what is loving and kind and just and honorable and faithful and true. It's about getting ourselves pointed, getting ourselves oriented, getting ourselves moving in a new direction. And if you've ever made a poor choice and then lived with that kind of cascading sequence of bad outcomes, or if you've ever found yourself being pulled along, whether it's by friends or circumstances, pulled along in a direction and starting to realize along the way this is not going to end well, then repent is actually a good word. It is good news because it holds open the possibility of living a different way, of living into a better future. And so John in the wilderness proclaims, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. See, John wants to get us oriented a particular direction. John has a particular vision of how life was meant to be lived, and he calls it the kingdom of heaven. And in the Gospels, that's what Jesus talks about all the time. In in Matthew, he calls it the kingdom of heaven. In Luke and Mark and uh, John, it's the kingdom of God, all the same thing. And it harkens back to that prophetic tradition. It's the thing that Isaiah could foresee in the, the reading we heard earlier, Isaiah 11. A shoot shall come out. Uh, hang on, I gotta find that one here. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse. Someone is coming, right? The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He shall judge with righteousness for the poor and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth. And this one will point the way toward a vision of an utterly transformed future. The wolf shall live with the lamb. And children, even when they're playing near danger, will be safe. It's a vision of the peaceable kingdom. And even though it seems kind of fantastical, I felt what that could be like. And I hope you have too. It's usually a fleeting moment, but it's a moment when the world seems right. And then too quickly it's gone because the world isn't fully right yet. But those moments hold for us, hold in us what we hope for, what we believe one day can come true. So when John says repent, when John says turn, this is the direction, this is the way, this is the future, this is the life together that he points us toward. Now, in uh, John, uh, Matthew 3, there's a point at which some religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, come out to John. And John is deeply suspicious of them, right? From John's perspective, they are uh, religious leaders who are entrenched in institutions that have lost their way. And John is pretty brutally direct, right? You brood of vipers. And uh, the truth is, I'm a religious leader, and I'm pretty deeply entrenched in a religious institution. So I try not to take this too personally. But John challenges them, and so challenges me, and challenges all of us to bear fruit worthy of repentance. He challenges us to live the kind of lives now that point in the direction of the kingdom of heaven, the peaceable kingdom, the beloved community. He challenges us to live lives that are right and just, lives of compassion and equity, of wisdom and truthfulness and loving kindness. Because that's how we prepare for what we can't really be ready for. It's by developing those kind of practices and habits and character now. So that 
When Jesus comes to us in a surprising guise, when Jesus comes in the guise of a neighbor, or the guise of someone asking for help, or the guise of a person who seems like an enemy of most of the things that we care about, or maybe when an unexpected opening comes our way, or something needs to be done, and when we look around, it seems like we're the ones that are going to have to do it, or something we hoped for hasn't come true, and we're not really sure what's next, we might not be ready for it. But we can be prepared to ask, what does loving my neighbor look like right now? And for that matter, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told a pretty good story about that. Or to ask, what's the equitable thing to do? Or maybe in trying to figure out what the equitable thing to do is, who should I be listening to? Or even more, who should really be making this decision? Or for me, I know when I'm in a situation where I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to do, I'm not sure I'm ready to do it anyway, it's important for me to ask questions like, am, am I reacting to my fears here? What's the source of my anxiety here? Can I trust instead the spirit who says, don't be afraid? The thing is, we can never be ready for every eventuality because life is too complex life is too fragile there's so many choices there's so many possible outcomes and often enough we're going to be surprised by things that we never could have imagined anyway we can't be ready for every eventuality rowan williams uh, rowan williams who was the archbishop of canterbury uh, he poses what i think are some really good questions though to ask in those moments to help us prepare in his book where god happens he, he writes uh, these questions. What course of action might be even a little more in tune with the life of Christ? And what opens rather than closes doors for God's healing, reconciling, forgiving, creating work to go on? What course of action might be a little more in tune, a little more directed toward the life of Jesus? And what opens rather than closes doors for God's work to go on. Now, truthfully, for all of our preparations, for all of our good intentions, uh, there are times uh, we're still going to wonder if we, did it right, if we did the right thing. There's times we're going to look back and wish we'd done something differently. There are times that we're just going to fail. And John says still, repent. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And it has come near to us in Jesus. And the spirit that was in Jesus continues to come, continues to flow through our lives and through all of creation. So it's not just a turning toward a vision or a dream and then working harder and hoping we can make it come true on our own. The invitation is to turn toward the one that John knew would come. The one we trust comes again and again and again with grace and with mercy and with wisdom and understanding and hope and peace. The one who comes to forgive and to heal and to grant us strength and courage for a fresh start. In Advent, we're getting ready for Christmas. Even more, we're preparing for the rest of our lives. We're preparing for the kind of life together that Jesus promises one day will come true. I'll end this morning with a poem uh, by Madeline Lingle. It's from her book, The Ordering of Love. God did not wait till the world was ready. Till the nations were at peace. God came when the heavens were unsteady and prisoners cried out for release. God did not wait for the perfect time. God came when the need was deep and great. God dined with sinners in all their grime, turned water into wine. 
God did not wait till hearts were pure. Joy God came to a tarnished world of sin and doubt, to a world like ours of anguished shame. God came, and God's light would not go out. God came to a world which, which did not mesh to heal its tangles, shield its scorn. In the mystery of word made flesh, the maker of the stars was born. We cannot wait till the world is sane to raise our songs with joyful voice. For to share our grief, to touch our pain, God came with love. Rejoice. Rejoice. Amen.